This is your hyperbole-free coronavirus update for April 3rd, 2020. As I record this at 1.39 p.m. April 3rd, there are 271,152 confirmed coronavirus cases in the United States. The death toll is now up to 6,946. The tri-state area of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut remains 53% of total fatalities. The White House on Thursday identified Chicago and Detroit as two potential emerging hotspots for the disease. Dr. Deborah Burks, the coordinator of the White House coronavirus response, told reporters at a briefing that officials are concerned about rapid increases in cases in Cook County, Illinois, and Wayne County, Michigan. The two counties encapsulate the cities and surrounding communities of Chicago and Detroit, respectively. While those two counties in specific are worrisome because of the population density, there were a few other states that were also mentioned because of their uptick in confirmed cases. For example, New York and New Jersey have 35% positives. That is right now where the hotspot level is. Louisiana also has 26%. Michigan, Connecticut, Indiana, Georgia, and Illinois are at 15%, while other states to look at, including Colorado, Washington, D.C., Rhode Island, and Massachusetts, are at 13% infection rate. Comparatively, states that have done fairly well include California and Washington at 8%. That is your hyperbole-free coronavirus update. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for April 3rd, 2020. Justin Robert Young. Uh, look, it's going to be a hot and cold episode. Just going to uh, pre-warn you. We got some sweet and sour. We're mixing the sweet and the savory here. Um, we're we're going to talk a little bit about the concept of stay-at-home or shelter-at-home orders. And we're going to dance around the idea of what needs to happen from a populist level to make them happen. This is in light of uh, uh, some of the discussion that's going on right now. Obviously, we're all reacting to these insane death tolls that are coming out. Uh, As I recorded this episode, New York City, or New York State, rather, but this is primarily in New York City, recorded that 500 people died last night. Uh, We are seeing increasing death tolls in Michigan. Uh, We we were barely under 1,000 dead yesterday. I don't suspect that we will see many more days like that. In the next week and a half, there's just a lot of darkness here, and we're all trying to process it our own way. We also have an update on the Wisconsin primary and the uh, Chinese death toll, according to a Washington Post report. And that's the sour. Here's the sweet. 
We got an interview with a lady who does peep dioramas. And they're politically themed. And it's a really nice interview. And I just wrestled around with exactly when we were going to air it. I don't think that it's going to get any more appropriate between now and Easter a week from now. So we're airing it now. She's an absolute sweetheart. I really love talking to her. It was an uh, interview that was recorded back on March 6th. So if you want a window into the before times, uh, uh, there's a lot of talk about what's going to happen with Joe Biden now that he's shockingly won so many uh, states. But I'm running it because, God damn it, we need something to smile about. But first... Does it make sense to you that some states are still not issuing stay-at-home orders? I mean, whether there should be a federally mandated uh, directive for that or not, that I guess that's more of a political question, but just scientifically, yeah. doesn't everybody have to be on the same page with this stuff? Yeah, I, I think so, Anderson. I don't understand why that's not happening. As you said, you know, the tension between federally mandated versus states' rights to do what they want is something I don't want to get into. But if you look at what's going on in this country, I just don't understand why we're not doing that. We really should be. As I speak to you today, 90% of America, roughly 300 million people, are currently under a shelter-in-place or stay-at-home order. Some of them, statewide, like Georgia and Florida, have made that decision very recently. Although... Many of their biggest cities made the call a week to a week and a half earlier. I would hazard a guess that Dr. Fauci, who you heard in that clip, would have liked for all of this to happen a lot sooner. Should the final 10% be forced to stay at home via a national order? That is the political question that we face right now. So it made me think, what exactly goes in to something like that? Now, here's what I don't know, and I am going to spare you me guessing or being a, a faux expert because I read a Wikipedia article on, and that is the actual mechanisms to running this, what powers the federal government has over the states, and whether or not there would be a new wartime kind of rule to this. I don't know what pathway the, the Trump administration would seek to use. I don't know what tools are there for them. So this is mostly going to be a street-level discussion. This is about the people, how we react. Because based on the arguments that I've seen online... There tend to be three buckets that people care the most about. Oftentimes, they will jump up and down and scream about why their bucket is the most important. And that's why a specific decision needs to be made or not made. But here are the three main buckets. Scientific, economic, and cultural. Let's start with the scientific, because this is obviously the key to all of it. Ordering a shelter in place isn't simply a suggestion to keep people healthy. It is a radical cure that 
would by necessity require a gnarly disease. As we watch this death toll rise and we see government predictions of a six-figure national death toll, this is less of an issue. I think that most people, even a lot of the, this is just the flu crowd, they understand that this is a contagious disease that is wreaking havoc globally. I mean, hell, all you got to do is look at New York City. All you got to do is look at Italy. All you got to do is look at Spain. Hell, in France, yesterday, we found out that they were hiding deaths. They were only reporting hospital deaths. They weren't reporting deaths that were happening in nursing homes. Their death toll yesterday was over 1,300. That's in a country with roughly 70 million people. I think that we understand that evasive maneuvers need to be taken. At least now. This was Dr. Fauci on January 21st uh, speaking with Newsmax about the coronavirus then ravaging China. So, uh, manageable numbers. Um, bottom line, we don't have to worry about this one, right? Well, I, you know, obviously you need to take it seriously and do the kinds of things that the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security are doing but this is not a major threat for the people in the United States, and this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. Now, I am a Dr. Fauci stan, right? I, I very much appreciate, uh, I said that he was bay a week ago. I stand by that. But let's just understand that even he, and, and he was going on bad information, bad information from China, bad information from the World Health Organization, bad information from the CDC that there still is a scientific hurdle that we all have to clear, even Dr. Fauci. So I think that scientifically, that hurdle has been cleared in the minds of most Americans, as we have not yet seen massive civil unrest because of it. However, that does lead us to our second bucket. Economics. Let's consider that a national order is also, by necessity, a death warrant for any economy that it is issued around. A national order, obviously, does this nationally. As we look at this staggering unemployment number, and we dance on the precipice of a global depression. This is not something that we can flippantly take for granted. The economy is not the stock market. It's rent and food. And while I'm sympathetic to the argument that we certainly could have called for a national stay-at-home order earlier, I think that it's a lot easier said than done. A shutdown in late February or early March would have been before many Americans really understood the gravity of the situation which means that many people might not have paid attention, at which point you are now not asking people to stay at home or shelter at home. 
you are dealing with a resistance to the law, which creates its own problems. But more to our economic point, how much further into this fiscal hell we find ourselves in would we be? And beyond that, considering how contagious we now know this disease to be, would a national stay-at-home order have stemmed this? Would it be worse if we had more economic crisis while our current level of outbreak was happening? I don't know. But I do think that you can't blithely pass this over. We do need to understand that this is part of the equation. Even if our ultimate conclusion is that we need to risk that anyway. Which brings me to my final bucket. And this is the hardest one. Cultural. While we can measure outbreaks and positive tests and we can measure the economy and jobs, it's hard to gauge a national mood. Let alone how a decision to restrict movement and the ability to earn a living would go over. Because let's be realistic here. The man who would have given that order, may still give that order, is very unpopular amongst the biggest city centers that he governs. They would be the ones that would benefit the most from it. It is their population centers that will be the places that this breaks out in its most deadly forms. We're seeing that now in New York City. I can very easily see a world where a national stay-at-home order is viewed as Trump grabbing absolute power. For as many we-are-on-the-road-to-fascism tweet threads that I've read, I can see that moment being a gigantic told-you-so opportunity for those who believe we're currently living in a budding autocracy. My point is, is that America's not the Sims. Human needs have human reactions. And a national order is far easier said than done. Is it the right decision? Maybe. But believing it could be implemented without serious consequences would be foolish. All right, we got a few quick updates on stories that we covered over the last week or so. Let's start with Wisconsin. I I, I, uh, talked to, uh, to you guys about this on the Wednesday episode. It now appears, and this is breaking as I record this, so obviously there might be newer information by the time you hear it, but there will be no physical polling stations in Wisconsin. The governor has relented. He called back the state legislature, and now they are trying to figure out exactly what's going to happen. Uh, uh, The deadline for absentee ballots has been pushed back. So it looks like this is going to be mail-in only and we are going to have more time for Wisconsinites to do. To me, this was a dead-in-the-water proposition from the moment that they moved back the convention. The convention was supposed to happen in August. Sorry, July. Now it's going to happen in August. They moved it back a month. Why? Because of coronavirus. 
Well, you want to know what's happening in Wisconsin? A hell of a lot before that. These primaries that were supposed to go on on Tuesday. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. But now it looks like they're going to be pushed back. So that's good. Good, good, good news. All right. How about some bad news? The Washington Post is now reporting that China's loss of life, which they have officially reported as 2,300 deaths, is likely closer to 40,000. 40,000 would lead the world by far. It is about 10 times, or sorry, four times more than what is happening in Spain and uh, uh, several you know, times more than what has happened here thus far. But I even think 40,000 might be low. Because honestly, I don't believe that China did anything particularly revolutionary in terms of stemming this. They locked people down, but they also lied about what it was. They lied to themselves. And that's the big key here. Is that there is malicious lying from the top. And then there is an organization that has fundamentally corrupted itself from the truth. And that's the problem that China faces. That's the problem that any authoritarian regime faces. Is that it has a hard time telling itself bad news. So 40,000 is what the Washington Post says. I think we're certainly going to get more. But thank God we are out of this world where we're just taking the Chinese government's word seriously. Because honestly, I mean, from what we talked about before... I recorded that first segment before I recorded this one, which I guess technically makes sense. But to do it again, I would say, imagine how much faster people would have gotten over that scientific hurdle, that this is not the flu. This is is not just something where experts are telling you, blah, blah, blah. No, tens of thousands of people are dead in China. That's why we're going indoors. That's why we're not going to bars. That's why we can't have grandpa's funeral. Not because an expert told you, not because the president told you, because tens of thousands of people are dead in China. There is is a question of of not only the information shared, because again, that, that Dr. Fauci clip I played during the first segment, that was in late January. I don't think that that man would be saying what he said if he was aware of tens of thousands of people being dead in China. That would probably change the the calculus a little bit. If even just fundamentally figuring it into how contagious it is. Alright guys, I'm going to keep this one brief, but I do want to let you know that you can subscribe to this show at TakePoliticsSeriously.com Three bucks gets you two bonus episodes, one on Monday and one on Thursday, uh, in addition to the two episodes that are always free. Um, I'm going to try to not be the, you know, uh, uh, weepy, proud uh, father on graduation day for another Patreon plug, but thank you to everybody who is carving 
this into their budget, you have no idea how much I appreciate you and how much uh, uh, I am now in your debt, then, now, and forever. Take politicsseriously.com. All right, guys, we're going to lighten the mood a little bit. This is going to be a bit of a fun one. So, Tamar, my producer and uh, uh, booker and just, you know, a huge part of what this podcast has become. She was tired of booking me all these serious guests. So, she found this thing on Instagram. It's called We the People, but it's peep. Like the candy, not people like P-E-O-P. And the creator of this is a very, very hilarious and funny uh, uh, woman named Barbara Martin. So I talked to Barbara Martin, and that's the interview that you're going to hear. This was in the before times, for the record. We recorded this uh, uh, March 6th. So this was, we were far more uh, uh, focused on Super Tuesday than on, uh, you know, obviously what our world has become. So there will be no coronavirus talk, which is a benefit because we are going to talk about peeps and we're going to talk about these dioramas. So please go on Instagram and uh, uh, find her, uh, uh, find her account, but more importantly, This is the beginning of a quest because Barbara is submitting her peep diorama to a contest that we're going to talk about hosted by the Washington City paper. The deadline for that is this weekend. So normally they would be done right by now and we'd be we'd be uh, directing you to vote. But that's what eventually we're going to do. We're going to let you know which of these dioramas is Barbara's. We're going to stuff this ballot box. We are running a full-on propaganda effort because, for God's sakes, if there's one shred of happiness that I'm going to clutch in this flaming hellscape, it's going to be getting this random woman who I talked to nearly a month ago a win for her peep diorama. I'm sorry this is non-negotiable. So with that, here's my chat with Barbara. Barbara, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. All right. I, I, I just need for, for uh, <laughs> to, to start with this question. Uh, why, why, why did you get into making peep dioramas uh, writ large? <laughs> and, and then uh, let, let's start there. What was the first peep diorama? <laughs> The first piece diorama was actually Dry Bar, which is like a hair salon that does blowouts, um, which was a client. And I made it for the Washington Post, which every year for years did a peep diorama contest. Really? Really. Okay. So this was, this is a, a, a thing that happened for, for uh, uh, Washington Post uh, readers, right? Yep. You know, make, make your yep. best peep diorama. And uh, uh, you are are uh, a CEO, co-CEO, and co-founder of of the Brand Guild. So this was them, uh, the blowout bar, coming to you and saying, "Hey, can you do one for us?" Uh, this is a blowout bar that we had signed um, to handle their public relations. And in my, con- I was really excited about the Washington Post Peep contest. I'm a longtime crafter. I at one point was an editor of a craft magazine and a ah. woodworking magazine. So. 
and I love candy. So when I first moved to Washington, <laughs> thought this was even an option, I was really excited, thought about doing it for dry bar. So I wrote it into their contract that I was going to make them a dry bar peep diorama. And their response to that, because they're based in California, was, what in the hell is that? I was like, don't worry about it. It'll be awesome. It'll be great. Just don't ignore me. And I made it. And it got them It got them great press. I mean, it was featured. It didn't win, which I thought was robbery, because it was awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, that so that's where it started. That's where it begins. And how long ago was that? That was about probably seven or eight years ago. Uh, how many how many peep dioramas have you made since then, if you could estimate? I mean, probably close to like 75 or so. <laughs> That's a lot of I'd peeps. It is so many peeps. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, it's just, I, I know. It's weird. It's my it's it's my art and it's my happy place. I, I don't want to sound too lofty to be like it's my art, but it is. It's the thing. It's my creative outlet that makes me happy. I mean, for anybody, and and, and if if you are listening to this and you have not followed we the people, of course that is people with two e's like the peeps. Uh, uh, then please go and scroll through as you are listening to Barbara on the show because they you should be saying it's art. These are these are you know very exquisitely made. They are very highly detailed. This is not just. <laughs> Uh, some some fly by night stuff, uh, uh, you know, for <laughs> for example, I'm taking a look at your you're posting now on the on the account. A lot of the candidates that have dropped out of of the race yeah. are those ones that you posted initially uh, and now you're reposting or are these new dioramas that you are making in tribute to the candidates as they leave? Well, the last two, which were Elizabeth Warren, I actually made last night. Um, and then the one before that, which was Jill Biden single-handedly taking out the protester yes. with Simone on backup, those two were made in the last two days. The other ones were reposts that I had done last year when the race was just getting yeah. when it started. Because these are, are I mean, uh, I, 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 how long does it take? Like, like for example, I'm, I'm looking at one of uh, 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 Amy Klobuchar. Uh, this was her famous uh, campaign announcement where she was out in the snow. Uh, how long does does that diorama take? So that one was interesting because we had a video. Um, now this wanted to do a video of me making one last year. Okay. So we did like a, like a fast motion video. And so at that point, I was just, I'm at work, I'm busy. So I actually took all of my conference calls and meetings in one of our conference rooms a day while making a peep diorama. And that was like the better part of a day. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you're, you're a professional, right? And obviously this is something that, that, I, that, that folds. Into, I am. Yeah. Like, like yeah. how I have 40 employees across <laughs> two offices. Um, yeah. You know, so we work with some billion dollar clients. Yeah. Uh, how I mean, <laughs> do you have to draw a line like internally of saying I can only allow myself to spend this amount of time on peep dioramas? Yes. I mean, last year it got a little, a little heated up. So um, I made the Pete Buddha judge one and it just kind of like, came to me on a Sunday morning about what the signs could look like if it was at a peep Buttigieg rally. <laughs> and I banged it out in a day, but it took off. He retweeted it, Chastin put it on his Twitter, and it just kind of blew up. 
So at that point, I was like, okay, this is becoming a thing. So I kind of, I kind of lost a good solid week at work. Um, <laughs> but besides that, I mean, I have two children, I have two dogs, I have a husband that should get some attention. Yeah. So and a company. So I, I try, I try to limit my time. But as I get closer to Easter, and then our clients also, I make a lot for our clients as well. So they start like, well, where's my diorama? So it does tend to get a little out of control, like right before you start. <laughs> because this is, is this when the post does their, uh, does their contest? Yeah. So now it, two years ago, it got moved to the Washington city paper. Okay. So they're doing it this year. Um, but yes, it is always, I think the deadline this year is the 23rd of March. And are you submitting I am. I am. I need to figure out. I think I know what I'm going to submit. I haven't made it yet. Um, but yeah. Is it going to be politically submitting. focused? I didn't, or... I didn't win last year because I um, I made the all the women in white at the State of the Union. Okay. Yeah. Um, in form. And I didn't win. And it was just, I didn't focus enough time and attention to like, you know, begging people to vote for me. So this year I'm like, grr, I need to win it. So this is it. This is, I mean, and, and I'll tell you what, I don't know when we're exactly going to run uh, uh, this interview, but but please loop me in because we will be happy to be there as a propaganda arm for your, uh, Amazing. For, for, your for your campaign here. <laughs> uh, so and I got to say, like, after listening to your podcast, I, I need to figure out how to actually put back that ass up into a, a Tom Steyer the, the, to, to immortalize the Tom Steyer juvenile rally from, yes. from Columbia, South yes. Carolina. That's a, that would be amazing. Uh, uh-huh. All right. So, so let me, let me, uh, a quick timeline question then. Were you doing a specifically branded, like we, the people Instagram account uh, uh, before the Pete Buttigieg and, and Chase and Buttigieg uh, uh, retweet or, or was that what made you yes. say, all right, I got to focus in on this. So I was actually right after the election, there was this that moment where half or more of the country, we all just kind of walked around like zombies. Like, what do you do? Like, uh, how do we react to this? Like, yeah. is the world ending? And everybody was like, what is the thing that I can do? And I was like, I could make a peep diorama. <laughs> so I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, I got the handle, the We the People handle. It just kind of occurred to me that that would be a good thing to have. And I made a few. And then, you know, just life. I got busy. And then when the um, State of the Union actually happened last year, I kind of got inspired again. And I was like, that's the thing I should make. That's what I should enter. And then started researching because I had to build, you know, Congress. <laughs> and it was, you know, and these are always research projects um, projects because I'm also a little OCD. So it's like, yeah. what does the carpet look like? How does the woodworking work in it? So after that, it just kind of took off. So I had made a bunch. Um, I made the State of the Union, and then I think I made a few more. And then, like I said, on a Sunday, I was like, oh my goodness, I have to make people to judge. Um, and that's and that's really what what made it take off. Yeah. I had made a Donald Trump one. I try to keep these like positive, sure, um, yeah, and optimistic. But I did have to make a everything that Trump, Trump touches dies one, just because you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well, I had to. But let me let me ask you this then: uh, <laughs> if you know you 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 work with brands uh, from a, from a PR perspective, uh, I could I imagine that uh, uh, you know for whomever owns the the peep brand that that politics is something that they in in general might not want to be associated with have you heard anything from 
the manufacturer or owner of of Peeps, uh, specifically since the I, name of your handle has it in there? I have not. Um, and and there's I've done a lot of things that weren't political too. I a friend of mine had a show on Bravo for a few years called Odd Mom Out. Uh-huh. Um, and the finale of the show was her deciding that she was going to follow her life's passion. And instead of being a fashion photographer, that she was going to become a peep diorama photographer. <laughs> and it was like all of my dioramas she used in it. Um, and so I, and I reached out to them just like, FYI, you're about to be on a finale on Bravo. And I've just never heard back from them. Wow. And I think the, the peep dioramas are a thing in the world. Like libraries and schools that people do contests. I, uh, there was a high school in California last year who saw my page and then she thought it would be a really neat civics discussion in her class. So she had them all do a peeps contest. So like, it's a thing that happens in the world. So I think that they have kind of lost control over what you can do with a peep diorama. Yeah. I guess, but, yeah, that yeah. would be that would be the second best thing for them to do, right? Number one would be to police yeah. the brand. The second best thing is just to not interact with anybody doing it at all, right? They, they just, exactly. just want to be, let it be organic. Let, yeah. it be, let it be its own thing. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, man, that is, uh, uh, have you thought about branching out into other stuff or would that be, you know, jumping the shark to do a, a, a M&M uh, uh, array of, of various political moments? Oh, good God, no. I mean, the, th- the thing about peeps is that, I mean, the thing about politics is that it's all emotion. Like, it's all about how you feel about a candidate, all about what they're doing to make you feel something. And peeps are, they don't even have mouths. Like, they're so expressionless. Yeah. So it's just, to me, it's just kind of hilarious to put marshmallow, faceless, basically creatures into, like, these highly emotional situations and try to make something of it. It's just <laughs> like a, it's like a creative challenge for me. Well, I don't know how you would do that with any other kind of candy. Yeah, I guess I, I couldn't <laughs> even think. I mean, number one, uh, uh, this was beyond my creativity, you know, so uh, the, the, the <laughs> thing of a step beyond would be impossible. Uh, no, uh, you mentioned Pete Buttigieg. Have you received any kind of communication or, or uh, attaboys from any of the other campaigns? Um, Actually, yes. So not from the campaigns, but when I did the um, – I did the State of the Union. I featured a lot of the individual congresswomen and a lot of them messaged me and reached out. And then I was actually on the Amtrak on my way up to um, our office in New York and a congresswoman. um, Oh, God, now I'm I'm going to forget um, her name. but Let me look her up. She um, I she walked onto the train and I was like, wait a minute. And I couldn't figure out if it was her or not. I was Googling her, and finally I walked up to her, and I was like, hey, this is, you know, our, is that, oh, Congressman Scal- um, Scallon from um, Philadelphia. Okay, yep. And I was like, hey, this is going to sound like a strange question, but are you Congressman Scanlon? And she was like, I am. And I was like, okay, this is going to be the weirdest conversation you've ever had, but I made a peep diorama of you? <laughs> and she was like, oh, hold, please. And she shows me her phone. She opens up all of her personal, like her Facebook page or Instagram page. And the diorama was actually her profile photo. Oh, that's great. That's amazing. Yeah. And then I was walking down Pennsylvania Avenue last year, like leaving one of our events and Katie Porter crossed, uh, crossed me on the street. And I like ran up to her and I was like, Oh my goodness, I'm such a fan. You're amazing. I make peep dioramas. And she's like, oh, I love peeps. And she showed me on her phone a peep cake. She's like, I make a peep cake every Easter. So, of course, I had to run home and make a diorama of her. <laughs> so, yes, I've had like individual, like random contacts from people. Um, 
I made one this after I made the dry bar one, I made I wanted to make one of Michelle Obama at SoulCycle, um, okay. which we were working with at the time. But their rule is like if a celebrity comes in, you can't disclose it. Like they want it to be a safe place for everyone. Gotcha. So I couldn't make it. And then Michelle went on the record with the New York Times on a on like a physical fitness story saying that she went to SoulCycle. So I was like, game on. Yes. So made a diorama of her at SoulCycle and made like all of the other riders like Secret Service with the little ear pieces. <laughs> and uh, somebody from her team right before and they were still in the White House, uh, right before uh, she went out for the egg roll, they brought a photograph in for her to see. So I never talked to her about it. I met her at her last book signing and, you know, like kind of was like, hey, just FYI, I've made these of you. And I think she thought it was a little crazy. But I know she at least saw that. Well, that's, I mean, it's nice knowing that at least your work's been seen, right? Exactly. Exactly. As an artist, you just want to be seen. Oh, 100%. (laughs) So seriously, though, like, is is there anything from this, uh, you know, the the success of the Instagram page and and the fact that it does resonate that that you bring back to your work PR-wise? Is there anything that you've learned from this process uh, that you then can can use with other clients for for the paid work you know i think making the client ones is always fun like i made one of we had a waxing client and we made a totally not safer work one of like a peep which was so inappropriate but hilarious um but i mean i think at the end of the day it's another way of getting their stories out there in the world that no one else is really doing so we always are looking for like interesting stories to tell about our clients. And I'm like, well, I've got an interesting story for you. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> oh man. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't even wrap my head around what to, what to ask it. It's just such a bizarre journey. Does anybody in your, <laughs> in your, like in your professional life, just, just kind of uh, uh, say like, what's going on? <laughs> like, like, what are you doing? Oh, my business partner. Like, I mean, we are total opposites in so many ways, but we, you know, we've been in this relationship now for 10 years and she's amazing, but we do come at things that she's just somebody who'd like, she knows everyone in Washington. She can double cheek kiss anyone. And I'm more of like the introvert that just likes to like handle the press side with reporters. Sure. Um, so when I first started doing this, she was basically like, what in the hell? Um, <laughs> And then last year, when it really kind of started taking over my life during like the week of Easter, she was like, you know what? Go for it. Like, we'll we'll cover for you here. I'll handle this conference call. So she really like pitched in and helped me get through the week. Uh, But yeah, I think at first she was like, are you kidding me? Seriously, you're going to make a what of our clients? So yeah. So now she's grown to accept it. Uh, I guess you are, are. Are you are you going back into to a uh, 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 double time mode uh, since we are coming up on Instagram? I am. I am. It, it, my poor husband like just kind of sees because I have like you know like a little craft area in our basement, but the lighting is better in our kitchen. So it kind of like piece by piece it starts coming upstairs. <laughs> He's always like, "Oh, good God, here we go." And it, by the end of it, it just looks like somebody vomited clay and yarn all over my house. Like, it's just, like, just stuff everywhere. Um, so, yeah, it, it's starting to. I mean, the, doing the two that I did in the past two days, I banged them out fairly quickly. Because, you know, like, you learn the shortcuts and learn how to do it. And sure. sometimes I'll just get an idea and be so excited I can do it quickly. But, yeah, it's starting to take over the world again. 
Now we are we're at kind of an inflection point in this election process. A lot of people have dropped out. The field is narrowing. Mm -hmm. It looks like we might have a likely front runner for for the first real time. Uh, does that mean that you're going to be busier, or or do do you kind of take a take a break past Easter and then maybe when when we're closer to convention time, you'll you'll ramp up again? You know, I think what typically tends to happen is once Easter hits, I'm so burnt out from making 8,000 of these that <laughs> I'll take a break. But, you know, when the, the moment happened earlier this year when Nancy Pelosi pointed across the table at yeah. Trump yeah. in their meeting, like it was one of those moments where I was like, I have to make this. I have to make this right now. Like I couldn't not focus on it. So I just had to kind of drop everything and make it. Um, so, you know, it's when is politics not like the primary thing in the news cycle now? That's true. It's true. Like I mean, it is every day. There's something else. So not all of them are peeped diorama worthy, but you know, there's <laughs> but a many lot out are. There right now. There's a lot more than you might Good think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Geez. It's a lot. Oh man. That is, uh, uh, I, 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 I really am at I'm I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss. I, I I have I have no idea what else to even ask you about about making all these peep dioramas. I mean, do you know how I I literally I was joking about this the other day that uh uh I'm so you know being on the road and covering this and doing the podcast that like I you know I I I, I exhale now and and it's just political hot takes like at all times with mm -hmm. random people. Uh, uh, there's very little that can shut me up about politics, and and you have rendered me speechless. Like I, I really have, <laughs> I have, I have no idea where even else to go uh, uh, with this. Uh, if I can shut up a political reporter, then yes, I feel like you've wow, done you've done something. you've done an amazing an amazing job. Uh, 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 well, I mean, I guess uh, <laughs> where do you see the race going, Barbara? <laughs> I, I mean, at this point, like I, I'm all in for Joe. Yeah. I'm certainly all in for Jill. I love her. She's a, I, I've met her a few times. She's a wonderful human being. I think she'd be an amazing first lady. I think that Joe will surround himself with a good team. I really hope he picks a great VP candidate that is ideally a woman. He better. Um, I think that's a clearly slam that's dunk. That's the only that's way we're going to get dunk. into the White House. Yeah. But yeah. I think there's there's no way that he doesn't pick a woman. I think that that's yeah. No, I don't. I don't think there is a way either. But you know, you never know. You, Good yeah. God! Every time you think you figure it out, like, did you really think he was going to come out as Super Tuesday the victor? Did I you did. really think that? I did not. So who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Who knows? And there's one thing that I could say for sure is that there's plenty of tape of me uh, uh, explaining in very authoritative tones that Joe Biden's campaign was dead. So there will be nobody who uh, will be able to say that I that I uh, in any way took a victory lap there. Uh, is there yeah. anybody that you enjoy making the peep version of that you would be excited if she was selected as Joe Biden's vice president? Because now I assume you would probably make so many more versions of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Kamala would be awesome. I think her clothing choices are great. Like, I, I, I she was one of the people, like, I just didn't have time to make one of her when she was running. Um, so, yeah. I, I put her high on the list. High on the list. Maybe like a, her big yeah. Technicolor coat. I mean, you've got you've got basically four women. You have Stacy, Amy, Elizabeth, and her. Like yeah. I don't know who else would be a viable candidate at this point for that role. 
Yeah. Besides Michelle Obama herself, but Michelle, like, yeah, 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 I don't think I don't think Tulsi would get much consideration. I don't know if that ever happened. You know? Yeah. She's living her best life, and I wish her all the best doing it. She deserves it. <laughs> so it's one of those four. So I, I would be happy making peep dioramas of them in the, in the White House and in the Vice President's residence forever. <laughs> Uh, have you ever gotten to a, a situation where uh, you want to send them to the candidates themselves, like, uh, or, or or reach out or be proactive to to talk to them? Aside from the people that you ran into on the street or on the Acela? Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, the um, I like I've always tried to go through like the side contacts, like because I live in Washington. This is yeah. not a big town, so, so everybody like, everybody knows somebody I've who knows somebody. To yeah, people. Yeah. Exactly. And it's hilarious. Like friends of mine will be at events and a politician will be there and they'll like run up with their phones. Like, have you seen your peep? Um, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Oh, I can only so, imagine. Only I'm crazy. They think all my friends are crazy too. So yeah. Um, that happened to a friend of mine. was at a, was at a formal event and Eleanor Holmes Norton was sitting there and she's like, so I walked up to her and showed her her peep. She didn't quite understand what was going on, but I did get a photo. <laughs> Oh man! So is there is there a, a favorite moment, uh, a favorite photo that you've gotten of people on the trail reacting to a peep diorama of themselves? I mean, the Eleanor Holmes Norton was pretty great because she's like standing there smiling, and she just she's like, "What in the hell is this?" Just yeah, um, yeah. There's there's something and about think, that 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 one vacant one that I'm stare. With, yeah, sorry. No, sorry. I, I I'm I was just saying you always know that 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 vacant stare of a politician when they know that they should probably just smile, but they have no idea what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine that, you know, I mean, every day you're getting like babies and random oh, yeah, thoughts. All yeah. these things are not Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't blame them. First, oh, yeah. I'm sure this is the first time a peep was ever thrown at her. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. Thank you, thank you, thank you uh, so much for coming on, and and please uh, uh, stay in contact because uh, uh, we would we would love to uh, stuff the ballot box here for you with uh, uh, your 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 Easter contest. Fantastic! It's a cover story. I'm like, oh, I need I need it on the cover. So yes, thank you. Oh yeah, no, without <laughs> a doubt, Barbara Martin, uh, the creator of We the People on Instagram and the co CEO and co founder of the Brand Guild. Uh, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking your time out to uh, to talk. Much appreciated. Thank you for your time. Really enjoy your podcast. Have a good one. And that's going to wrap it up for us today. I want to thank our Titanic $10 tier. These folks, they're going out of their way to make sure that they have their name read at the back part of this podcast. Why? What does it get them? What does it get them? What does it get them to have their name shouted out? I'll tell you what. I'll bet you that every single time that they listen to this show, twice a week, they get a shock, an adrenaline rush, the likes of which can only be created when a podcaster reads somebody's name alone in his spare room. Names like Brad, Miranda, Emily, Glenn Wolf, Brand, Chili Scoop, Thor, Nomadic, Ya Boy, Craig, Robert, Olin and Angela, Dustin Richard, Kilowatt Podcast, Darren, Daily Tech News Show, Melk Leg, 
Jamie Elias, Paul Thompson, Jonathan, The Jen, Nicholas, Adam, Zach, Chad, Andrew, Peter, Nick, Frozen, Jim, DL, Lindsay, Stephen, Adam, DeLazer, and middle-aged Mike. Of course, if you want to email us, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You want to sign up for my newsletter? Man, I'm sending it out five days a week for free. Where'd you get a free political newsletter like that? Well, I'll tell you, freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Even more so, you can follow me on social media, at Justin R. Young on Twitter, at Justin R. Young on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitch, man. I'm talking on Twitch four days a week, many hours for you. Twitch.tv slash Justin R. Young. That'll wrap it up for us today, though. Till next time, it's your old pal, Jury, letting you know. Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more, man, they're talking about politics, but this is the only show that talks about all three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>